From WDBM, East Lansing. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. Our weekly news and storytelling program. Made by and for the students of Michigan State University. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. and welcome to The Undercurrent. This is Season 12, Episode 10, and I am not your host, Sophie Sagan. You may recognize my voice from some of my Undercurrent segments this season. I'm Taylor Holterman, the Assistant News Director here at Impact. Sophie is home for the holidays this weekend, so we thought this would be the perfect time to test out my hosting skills while talking about something that I love. Plants. I got my first plant my freshman year here at Michigan State, It was a spider plant from the MSU Biodome Project. I actually still have it in my apartment today. It always brightens my mood in these dreary winter months, so hopefully today's episode can do the same for you. Up first, I headed to the MSU Horticulture Gardens to find out how to best care for our little leafy friends. When I returned home to the Upper Peninsula last summer, I did not foresee myself falling in love eight times. But the beautiful green color and uncanny ability to generate oxygen through photosynthesis drew me in again and again. I was borderline obsessed. I spent hours wandering plant aisles of supermarkets looking for my perfect match. And when I found them, They thrived in my sunlit bedroom window. But like most love sagas, things could not stay this perfect forever. When I moved back to East Lansing in August, I noticed my little plants beginning to droop. Their once chlorophyll-filled leaves had begun to lose their pigment. Try as I might, I was only able to save a few of my loves from an unmerciful death in my dim, dry apartment. After mourning my losses, I decided the only way to fix this problem was by buying more plants to fill the void in my heart. So I headed to the Michigan State Horticulture Gardens houseplant and succulent sale. It was love at first sight with a couple of new plants, but I didn't want them to meet the same dark fate as my former oxygen-producing roommates. So I reached out to Bethany Troy, the perennial garden manager and volunteer coordinator at the gardens to find out where I went so terribly wrong. She told me the gardens are essentially a big learning environment for everyone, so I knew I'd come to the right place. It's a space for teaching and learning, and it's also a space for uh, community members to come in and get some ideas on plant material and ask us questions. We do a lot of really fun stuff, um, and we love our community. The first piece of advice Bethany gave me made me realize maybe I had been investing my heart in the wrong plants all along. This is something that's like drilled into our heads as horticulture students, or when I was a horticulture student, um, is right plant, right place. Basically, like, south-facing windows are prime, um, but a lot of us have, like, north-facing windows or east-facing windows where the direct sunlight is either non-existent or it's for a very minimal part of the day. And if that's the case that you're in, it's best to have really low level, low light level plants. 
but it also could apparently just be me being a bad plant owner in general. A huge problem that I see a lot is either severe overwatering or like severe underwatering of plants. It's hard to explain how often you should water because each apartment and each house is like different, right? So like drying times might be different. There's a lot of reasons why plants can die. And sometimes a plant is totally fine and it just randomly dies because it's just its time, you know? So it's kind of difficult to tell you what you might be doing wrong, but most likely it's light level and something wrong with watering. No offense. She also had some helpful advice for me regarding water. Since plants cannot tell us when they are thirsty, Bethany says the best thing to do is stick your fingers into the soil to check how dry it is, and to pick the plant up to get the feel of how heavy it is with water and how light it is when it needs water. Turns out, plants are much more temperamental than you may think. And just like in real life, a healthy relationship is all about balance and getting to know them initially it can be really overwhelming and I think a lot of people they come to our sale maybe they've never bought plants before or they have minimal experience with plants they buy like 15 plants and go home it's hard right like it's hard to figure out how to manage that and how to take care of each one individually so I, I've told people when you when you make friends if you make 15 friends at once are you going to be able to have a healthy relationship with all of them at the same time like maybe not Maybe you can, and that's great, but a lot of us can't. So just start, you know, adding a friend or two at a time and, uh, and like, figure out their needs and care before adding more friends. Once you have that healthy relationship figured out, your plant will begin to thrive and could potentially grow out of its pot. Repotting a plant may not seem like a big deal. I certainly didn't think it was. But it turns out the right pot can be the difference between life and death. One thing that I see people do a lot when they repot their plants is they put it into big of a pot. They, they're like, well, ultimately it'll be bigger, so I want it in a, in a large pot. And what happens is you end up like soaking the entire media, but the root structure is not the same size as the pot that you transplant it in. So you can get into a lot of like overwatering situations that way. I've also seen uh, people maybe not bury the plant quite deep enough or they bury it too deep when they transplant it and you really just want that soil line to be right where the soil line existed previously. From the research I've done it seems most low light level plants are foliage plants not necessarily the aesthetically pleasing flowering plants and succulents we see online. But if you live in a dorm or apartment with low light there is still an option to keep a plant like that healthy in your space. A plant light But yeah, a simple plant light is like all you need to get started. You don't have to invest in like, you don't have to, you know, you can if you want, but you don't have to invest in all this fancy lighting. Something really simple can work really well, but just make sure it's made for, it's like the spectrum for plants and not necessarily just, you know, like a daylight bulb. And because my obsession with plants came seemingly out of the blue, I had to ask, what is it about plants that we love so much? This is deep, um, but uh, I I think it's really refreshing to care and be around living things that are just there. You know, they're rooted. They don't go anywhere. But I think they provide some kind of energy that we're really attracted to for some reason. And I think a lot of people can go a long time in their lives without really noticing it. But then once they do, it can be life-changing. Throughout my own personal plant rom-com, I've essentially learned relationships are difficult, especially when one half cannot communicate their wants and needs. 
but with a little bit of effort and the desire to learn, anyone can become a successful plant whisperer. If this segment has sparked some burning plant questions of your own, you can reach out to the gardens in person, through email, or over the phone for answers. They are always happy to help. And if you desire to have your own plant love saga, you can check out their spring landscape plant sale. The sale is usually held in May, but for updates on the official date, follow the gardens on Facebook at MSU Horticulture Gardens-Programs. For Impact Student Radio, I'm Taylor Halterman. I have a little plant update for you. Since meeting Bethany at the Horticulture Gardens, I've made a conscious effort to be more mindful of my plants' needs. And though they're not quite thriving again, they're at least not decaying. The one plant I have that is still thriving, however, is my lovely spider plant. And I'm actually in the process of propagating some of its plantlets. For our next story, Sophie Sagan spent some time in a local flower shop and she came away with a new perspective on a little more than just plants. My favorite flower in the world is a daisy. They used to grow wild in the wooded area behind my grandparents' house. In the summer, when I was younger, I used to pick them to go with the lavender from the herb garden, and I made my little makeshift bouquets and set them on the desk in their front room. Today, as I'm recording this, a beautiful bouquet of daisies and sunflowers is resting on the table in my tiny college apartment. The woman who built the bouquet doesn't know anything about my grandparents or the wildflowers outside their home. But when I look at it, that's what I see. And it makes me feel good and nostalgic. Recently, I was at BA Florist on the corner of Grand River and Hagedorn. It's not large or overly elegant, and it was built sometime back when If you looked out the front window, you could still see farmers plowing their fields on the other side of what was then a dirt road. It's been a long time since then, and it was in 1984 when Barbara Ann, ergo B.A. Florist, bought the home and turned it into a business. Today, her daughter, Lori, runs the place with her dedicated staff. And how did, did you always know that you were going to come work at the family business? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, my degree is in merchandising management and textiles. I thought I would be in the auto industry. And when I graduated, I owed student loans. Didn't have a job at that time. My mom made me an offer to stay with her for five years and I could start paying the loans back. And here we are a few years later. (laughs) Yeah, so I never left. Even though it's not exactly what she thought she would be doing when she was 21, It seems like Lori has found her true calling. The interesting thing is that's not the only one. I could sit and tell you stories about different customers all the time that just really touch your heart. And you think, sure, I'm not going to ever drive the fanciest car. I'm not ever going to wear the fanciest clothes. My bank account isn't going to be brimming over with cash. But those things that we've had a a part in make me feel rich inside. But there was a time when Lori wasn't so sure about the future of the family business. After her mother retired, she considered leaving as well and closing up the shop for good. The community around this little flower shop begged her not to go. 
And what was so touching, because some of them knew that I was kind of on the fence, and they kept coming in and going, please don't close, please don't close. And then it became, I'm so glad you decided to stay. And these are people that, you know, are business professionals, and, you know, they all have these different high-powered jobs, and I'm just a simple little florist. You know, I my being here doesn't really change anyone's life one way or the other much. I have to disagree with her wholeheartedly here. Lori told me story after story of customers that she'd met throughout the years, and she's been there for countless weddings and birthdays, graduations and funerals, and not just in the background. Can I tell you another story? Absolutely. So this kind of happened in a roundabout way. A customer of ours was going through horrible uh, medical procedures to treat cancer. And I always knew that she loved the flowers that she got, and they made her so happy. And just on a whim, one day I said, I know you're not feeling real great, but how would you like to just come on over for Valentine's Day and you can just sit and watch. You can participate if you want. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to stay all day. You can come in just for an hour if you want. But I really had a sense that it might perk her up a little bit because she loved, you could just see her face and her whole demeanor lighten. And she decided to take me up on that. And I remember one day, leading up to Valentine's Day, which is our biggest time of the year, we're all working 100 miles an hour, and she did decide she wanted to participate a little bit. And she was just so intensely concentrating on what she was doing and looking at the flowers, and I just sat and watched her. I didn't say anything. But I could see such an aura of joy because she was focused on so much beauty with what she was touching that I snapped a picture and sent it to her family because I knew it would make them feel better because they're so surrounded with the diagnosis, you know. And she ended up doing that with us for a couple more years, and it just became this fantastic tradition that I think why the flowers and plants are so important is that it reminds everybody that there's so much beauty all around us that sometimes we're just too busy to see and that if we stop and kind of slow down and and just step back a little bit we realize oh my gosh look what's right in front of me and doesn't it feel better to focus on something beautiful than something sad. Everything in life takes effort. And sometimes it can seem like such a simple thing, but it still is going to take some effort. But the reward is worth it. So say you have this plant that's sickly, and, and you work on it, and you nurse it, and you nurture it. I mean, really, that's the same thing with things in our life that might not be going well. To step back and and say, okay, how can I best address this? Yeah, definitely. And the fact that it doesn't heal immediately 
is probably the most important lesson because we are in a society that we expect things like this. Snap, snap, snap. Press a button and have your answer or make things happen. But sometimes the most meaningful things take some time. When I first had the idea for this story, I had planned on making something about the way plants benefit our mental health. I was interested in really digging in and researching the science. But after talking to Lori, I started thinking about it in a much simpler way. So this story is all about simple joys. The simple joy of taking care. Taking care of something as small as a little houseplant. And also, the simple joy of taking care of people around you. The people who walk through your flower shop. Whatever that is. Using your hands and your time to help something grow. I love being here because it does allow me to keep my rose-colored glasses on. Because I don't want to become a skeptic about everything in life. And it is easy when, you know, we're in such a rush, rush society that we need to do more and we need to work harder, we need to earn more, we need to be more perfect, you know, everything. There's so much pressure. But the truth is that things that mean the most come from here, our heart. For Impact Student News, I'm Sophie Sagan. And that's the end of our show today. If you're feeling a little blue this winter, maybe try picking up some greenery for your own house. If I can give you one recommendation, it would be a trusty spider plant. They're beautiful. When they grow, they create new little spider plants. And they're so easy to care for, I swear they can survive almost anything. I forgot mine in my dorm over winter break last year. And when I came back, it was still growing strong, despite having not been watered for a month. Thank you to our station manager, Olivia Mitchell, our general manager, Jeremy Whiting, and our program directors, Amber Kanutsky and George McNeil. And of course, thank you to you, our listeners, for listening. Sophie will be back on the host mic next Sunday at 1030 if you'd like to tune in, and I will be back to my usual reporting, and hopefully watering my plants. You've been listening to The Undercurrent. And now a piece from PRX, the public radio exchange. Well, it's peak fall color time here on the shore, and we wanted to know what is the science behind this glorious color change. Here to tell us all about it is Eric Singsas, the director of the Wood and Bioeconomy Initiative at the Natural Resources Research Institute in Duluth. Hi, Eric. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for being on. We really appreciate it. 
Well, first of all, let's start with the basics. What is it in leaves that changes color? Well, uh, leaves, uh, leaves contain a number of pigments. Of course, their main job during the summer is to capture light energy through the process of photosynthesis. That's primarily done with the green pigment called chlorophyll. Uh, and then you, in the fall, uh, you see the, the accumulation of some other co- pigments. The red and purple color pigments are called anthocyanins, and the yellow and orange colored pigments are called carotenoids. All right. And how do the trees know when to do this? Why is it? Why does well, it happen? Why does it happen? Well, uh, deciduous trees, of course, uh, the ones that uh, lose their leaves in the fall, uh, the, the, the leaves, you know, the, during, during the winter time, of course, it's too, it's too cold for photosynthesis. And of course they would lose too much. They lose water through the leaves. So they, they know that they need to shed these leaves be, before fall. Uh, and that's primary, it's, that process is called leaf senescence and it's primarily triggered by the shortening day length. As the days get shorter, they sense, they sense that the days are getting shorter and they begin a process of, uh, of shutting down the leaves and reabsorbing their nutrients uh, and then dropping the, uh, dropping the leaves onto the ground. Okay. And I understand um, that you, you have uh, published some research about this some years back about uh, an interesting theory as to uh, why the, the leaves change color in regards to the nutrients. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, about 15 years ago, uh, actually, I worked with a, a former student of mine uh, who then went to went to graduate school in uh, in uh, plant uh, plant breeding, and um, he, he came up with a, this uh, hypothesis that you know this process that by which the plants are reabsorbing the nutrients that have been deployed all summer in their leaves, uh, they need energy to break down the nutrients break and, and reabsorb those to store them in the plant. And we recognize that when, uh, when the leaves begin to shut down their photosynthesis uh, and when you start to get cold, high uh, sunlight uh, conditions in the fall, that they begin to reabsorb those. They, that can be damaging to the leaves. So uh, our hypothesis was that the accumulation of these uh, yellow and red pigments uh, are protecting them so that they can begin to reabsorb those nutrients back into the plant. Hmm. And how how do you test something like that? Well, uh, it, this is where my student, his name is Bill Hoke, um, he found uh, three different deciduous plants um, that, that are horticultural varieties, and they have a mutation so that they can't can no longer produce in this case the red anthocyanin pigments. So it was a species of dogwood, a species of a uh, blueberry, and a species of viburnum. So we were able to compare the behavior of the mutant ones with the no pigments uh, with the normal plants with pigments. Okay, cool. That's great. So, so you know, we we're talking about when I introduced you, you know, that it's pretty peak here as far as fall color, um, October 5th here along, right along Lake Superior. 
Mm-hmm. What weather conditions, in your experience, give the best fall colors? Is it like maple syruping, where there's good weather it, for? Yep. Yeah. There's there's always an optimal weather uh, for a lot of things outside. In this case, it is it is the combination of cold temperatures, uh, and it, these are what we call chilling temperatures, usually below forty degrees, but not uh, freezing, uh, and high light. Uh, so it's that combination of cold temperatures and high light that is extremely stressful for the plants. And without these these uh, colored pigments, uh, the leaves can easily become damaged. Hmm. What do you mean high? What do you mean by high light? You mean like earlier in the year when the sun is higher? Uh, no, I mean uh, when you have full sunlight. So you have bright bright sunny days, clear okay. skies versus uh, you know, compared with uh, uh, cloudy. All right, got it. Got it. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Eric Singsas. He is the director of the Wood and Bioeconomy Initiative at NRRI in Duluth, and we're talking with him about the science behind leaf color changes. So could you also explain to us why don't evergreens change color? How is their makeup different? Uh, their leaves, their needles, are, are much thicker and more robust. You know, and they they go through a process we call sequential leaf senescence, where they do actually produce a new flush of leaves in the springtime. You can usually see those bright, kind of lightish green needles, but they hang, tend to hang on to the same needles for three, four, or five years, uh, and then they shed those needles. Those needles, because they are much thinner, uh, they're more protected from losing water vapor. Uh, they can retain them over the over the winter. Now, th- there's an advantage because they can once things warm up in the spring, they can kind of become active and become photosynthesizing again. Uh, but they do su- suffer a substantial amount of damage during the winter. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can see, uh, uh, especially ones that have been face- south facing needles, you'll actually see that they look kind of yellowish. They're accumulating those yellow protective pigments in those leaves as well. Hmm. Protect them. Okay, so they're getting the pigments as opposed to dying. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. So, what about my favorite tree, the tamarack? Uh, well, the tamarack is unusual in this region for uh, conifer, but it, it it's a uh, an annual deciduous conifer. Uh, in this case, uh, it accumulates the yellow colored pig carotenoid pigments. And uh, and does the same thing that our typical deciduous trees do. It uh, reabsorbs those nitrogen, those nutrients into the plant, and uh, drops its needles every year. Okay. Well, um, Eric, I know you've been studying this for a while. So, what have you noticed about the timing and quality of the fall color season uh, that could be related to climate change? Uh, well, we. It, it, it's hard to over the over the short time hard, hard to discern a, a noticeable trend. But you know when we have warm temperatures in the fall, I think we had close to a record warm fall in Duluth and southern Minnesota this year. So you we're not generating those really cold those nice cold clear days uh, that allow for good good uh, color development in the leaves. So in when it's warmer or when it's cloudy, you're not going to get as bright of colors. Okay. All right. And anything with uh uh rain or or drought conditions, how does that affect? Uh drought conditions 
you know, drought conditions can cause, especially if you have drought kind of mid to late summer, oftentimes in, in say, August, that can cause plants to begin to drop their leaves uh, earlier in the, in, the, in the summer before autumn hits uh, and before those cold temperatures hit. And if you'll notice, uh, typically the leaves will maybe turn a little bit of color. They'll certainly get less green, but you won't get the bright colors produced because uh, if they're dropping leaves in August, it's not uh, cold enough to uh, to be stressful for the leaves. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to ask you this since you live in Duluth and you're a tree color expert. Where's your favorite place to see fall color? Well, I pretty much anywhere where there's a trail, uh, <laughs> I do. I do either like to uh, I I do like to see the leaves from uh, Hawk Ridge in Duluth, uh, or we enjoy walking on a carpet of uh, colored leaves uh, along the Superior Hiking Trail. Ah, that is good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep, I hiked up Oberg yesterday, and it was oh, it was stunning up there. Me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Eric, for uh, enlightening us about the science of fall color changes. Anything else you want to add before we let you go? Uh, no, I hope people enjoy the, the fall colors. I'm afraid it was maybe not as optimal this year. It was pretty cloudy and warm into the fall, but uh, things could still turn around if we, uh, we have some more sunny days. That's the attitude. Thanks so much for your time. Great. Thank you very much, Okay. Annie. Bye-bye. Bye.